This is the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Let's bring in Tom. He was a Hamiltonian, or is a Hamiltonian, just returned from Las Vegas, had been de- uh, down there uh, on business with clients, is with us now. Tom, thanks for taking the time to join us. How are you doing? Good. How are you, Scott? Good. A little, uh, little shaken, but uh, uh, I'm so glad to be home. What can you, you What can you tell us about your visit? Well, I went down there with some clients and some friends, and uh, we got there Friday. Uh, did the usual thing, dinners, and then we planned to go see the Las Vegas uh, hockey team play San Jose. Mm. Um, we were there for a couple periods. We were very close. The, the T-Mobile Center is very close to Mandalay Bay. And, you know, it's funny. As we were walking, there was a lot of people with cowboy hats partying at the beer gardens. And I mentioned to a friend, I go, lots of cowboys here. He goes, there's a concert tonight. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of people there. Not thinking, you know. And, uh, you know, you think about it after. We decided to go back to the hotel, and we were at the Bellagio, and we had some dinner. And I got a phone call around 10.30, 10.45 from a friend who had already gone up to his room. And he said, do you, do you know what's happening? You have to excuse me, I'm near Toronto Airport. Yeah. I said, no. He says, there's, uh, there's been a mass shooting in, uh, in Vegas. And I said, you're kidding me. He says, no, I got it on TV right now. He goes, I would round up the boys and tell them to go to their room. So I said, okay, that's a good idea. I could see my friends at a blackjack table. I was just about to pay um, my bill at the bar and mass pandemonium started. Hmm. Uh, we were at near the North tower of the Bellagio and a sea of humanity just started running by me. People screaming, there's a shooter. There's a shooter. What had happened was there was, rumors that there was more than one shooter in Vegas and that's what happened so I just I thought this can't be happening so my friend who had already warned me that was shooting then you see this I thought they're in here they're in the hotel yeah so I grabbed my phone ran Um, we ran into some people who were hysterical we brought them up to our rooms we stayed there for a little bit Uh, husbands and wives were like separated and then they finally called each other and you know I was glad to help them because there was no way we were, we were going to stay on the first floor. Um, I apologize. And, and uh, in the end, uh, it was a false alarm in the Bellagio, but what we saw the next day when we left uh, was horrible. There was policemen everywhere. You know, we kept watching the, uh, the screen and um, on the TV and what would happen. And, and, the, and the horrible thing was when we left, we drove by the Mandalay because they closed that street down. So you had to go left to go to the airport, and we could see the window with the draperly, right. drapery uh, floating out. And it was an eerie reminder of what happened. Uh, talk a little bit about, uh, as you said, when you were just about to pay your bar bill and all of a sudden uh, the crowd can, can of people... You, can you repeat that again? Can you just, just explain again what it was like when you paid your bill and you saw all the people start running by and you didn't know what was going on. Uh, how long did all of that commotion seem to last? It, it seemed to last forever, but it was only like, 20 seconds when I heard and saw all those people it, I said to a friend the next day it sounded like a stampede of horses yeah and he looked at me and said Tom exactly that's what I thought we saw everybody screaming people fell um, I just ran in the same direction and I thought oh my god they're here these guys are here thought of my kids you know I got kids at home in their 20s and I'm going 
let's get upstairs as soon as possible. Like I said, so we ran into some people who were like hysterical because they lost their partners. No, any, everything ended up being okay, but yeah. at that moment, I yeah, thought, you don't know. This is not. This cannot be happening. So, what were you were just? So you were in your room and watching this literally unfold below you. Well, after, like, because what had happened was, while this was happening at uh, uh, Mandalay Bay, we were just hanging out in the casino. Yeah. My friend had gone up early, and he said, "You are not going to believe what I'm seeing." So before we had a chance to even go up to our rooms, that's when that mass pandemonium happened. Right. It was, it was crazy. And, and I got to tell you, I said it before, uh, it is really good to be home. But it is just such a shame, all those people. And they didn't know where to go because they didn't know to go north, south, east, or west yeah. because they didn't know where the bullets were coming from. Uh, during that time when you're up in your room and such, when did you start to realize that the situation was under control? Um, not till, not till about four or five o'clock in the morning because I kept waking up looking outside. There was police in front of the Bellagio. They were not letting anybody in and they were not letting anybody out. So if you were in the Bellagio and you were out before that cut off time, you weren't allowed back in your hotel room. So I don't know where people were staying. That was the scary wow. part. Wow, wow. So, so what, good thing we didn't go out that night. So what was the feeling uh, the next day when you were when you were walking around Vegas and, and getting out? What was what was the feeling like? The feeling was uh, everybody was kind of looking at each other with this face of even strangers. Are you okay? Do you believe this is happening? The casino was totally dead. Yeah. I ran downstairs to get a quick coffee before I went to the airport. And it was just a feeling of, I can honestly say, numbness. Yeah. But it just showed the good side of human beings because people were really kind to each other the next day. Are you okay? Where were you? you believe this happened? Like, I mean, there's a lot of good people out there. And uh, unfortunately, when we got to the airport, there was heavy security with police, but no extra security when checking in your bag. Um, I think uh, Las Vegas has to be like they did in London after the terror attack you have to be strong and just go back to your business because you can't let animals like this affect you what was the feeling as soon as the plane lifted off oh we were relieved we were exhausted nobody slept that night um but it was good and i said guys i i don't think i'm coming back to vegas for a while there's nothing against vegas it's just, yeah, yeah it really left a really bad taste did you ab- did you ever hear anything, Tom, as far as gunfire or anything like that? No, no, we didn't because uh, the casino at Bellagio was about a ten minute walk away, yeah. and it's very loud in there. Right. Um, unfortunately, the um, some people that I know thought they heard shots, but it was just basically uh, the Bellagio fountain because if you've ever heard it, it sh- it sounds yeah. like. Cannon shot. You've been there before, right? Uh, Tom, thank you very much for sharing your story with us. Uh, Good luck to you, and uh, thank goodness you're back home. Uh, Thanks for the call and sharing the story. Much appreciated. Uh, Tom has been with us, uh, Hamiltonian down there on business, and uh, his story of just the confusion uh, in the moments after this attack. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. Uh, Late night TV shows last night using their platform to condemn the violence in Las Vegas and once again trying to uh, kickstart 
the discussion on gun control in um, a country where it just seems things have gone mad. Uh, they complain about terrorism and the amount of, like 30,000 people are shot with guns, killed with guns every year in the United States of America, and they're barking about terrorism, really. Uh, here's what Trevor Noah had to say. Just to give you an idea of how far away America is from actual gun control, this week, Congress is going to vote on deregulating gun silences. Yeah, because I guess Congress is thinking gun violence is out of control. How can we make it quieter? Yeah, how can we do that? So, to the people of Las Vegas, I can't give you thoughts and prayers. I can only say that I'm sorry. I'm sorry that we live in a world where there are people who will put a gun before your lives. Hmm. Uh, Jimmy Kimmel. Uh, of course, we pray for the victims and for their families and friends, and we wonder why, even though there's probably no way to ever know why a human being would do something like this to other human beings who are at a concert, having fun and listening to music. Jason Aldean was on stage. Luke Combs, who was here with us tonight, he played the show too. And obviously no one could have ever expected that something terrible would happen, but it did. A very sick person smuggled 17 guns into his hotel room and smashed out the windows, started firing indiscriminately from the 32nd floor into a crowd of 22,000 people across the street. And as a result of that, uh, this morning, we have children without parents and Fathers without sons, mothers without daughters. We lost two police officers. We lost a nurse from Tennessee, a special ed teacher from a local school here in Manhattan Beach. And um, it's the kind of thing that it, it makes you want to throw up or, or give up. It's too much to even process. All right, let's bring in uh, Alyssa Freeman, Alyssa PR. She is with us now. Uh, it, you know, we've seen Sandy Hook. We've seen, we don't need to list them all. Uh, is this changing the discussion, Alyssa? You know what? It's interesting, Scott. You know, we have looked at late night TV as sort of a lens, a comedic lens into the social issues of the day, whether they be funny or whether they be serious. We kind of look at late night TV as sort of, you know, ripping the, uh, the bandaid off and, and taking a hard look at things. But it was with a comedic edge. Now that has all changed. And it's like late night hosts have become a more hard-edge social conscience uh, for us, those of us who watch uh, these shows, into saying what we're really thinking. Except what they're doing is that they are using the huge platform that they have to do so. So to answer your question, yes, the discussion is changing because people are taking the gloves off. They don't care, especially late night TV. They don't care what people think. Advertisers are not pulling ads. And I think even if they did, guys like Kimmel and Trevor Noah um, couldn't care less. And honestly, Scott, what advertiser who may give to the NRA and supports the NRA is actually going to pull an ad for fear of serious consumer repercussions. 
Uh, is this terrorism versus gun control? I mean, uh, many have, have, have drawn the comparison. If this was somebody affiliate, affiliated with a terrorist organization, we'd be screaming blue murder. Now it's, oh, let's not talk about this. You know, it's not the time for this, this discussion, so to speak. Uh, and of course, you know what? Over thirty thousand people killed by gun every year in the United States. Uh, obviously, gun guns are a way bigger issue than terrorism is for this country. Uh, do, do they do they uh, do they compare the two? Do they equate the two at all? You know, I don't know if they equate the two, but I know that when it's terrorism, everybody's okay with talking about guns and putting in controls. But when people talk about a white man with a gun, an American with a gun, suddenly, oh, this isn't a political issue. Just let's send our thoughts and prayers. You know, I saw a meme this morning on my Instagram, and it was a dump truck at a dump and was unloading its load. And the meme was thoughts and prayers, because that's exactly what it is. It has no resonance. It has no meaning. People are afraid of the NRA lobby. The NRA, as Jimmy Kimmel said, the big soundbite that came out of that uh, monologue was that guys like Mitch McConnell and um, Paul Ryan have their, you know, their nuts to the money clip. And that's why we say that we just throw up our hands and say we can't do anything but offer our thoughts and prayers. People are afraid of going up against this huge lobby People are afraid of the money they'll pull or the influence that they will uh, that they will take away or put up against you. So therefore, it seems to be like there's there's nothing they can do. Well, of course, there's something they can do. It's just that the lawmakers, the people that Americans vote in office in order to represent them, won't do anything. Uh, we look at other countries uh, and and talk about their terrorism issues. Why don't other countries look at the USA and talk about their gun issues? Why is that comparison not made? You know, I don't know. I think that the USA is taking a reputational beating, um, you know, uh, on the world stage. You know, I don't know, Scott. You and I are about the same age. And I remember growing up, you know, the USA is our neighbor. Oh, yeah. but they were like a superpower, weren't they? Mm-hmm. They were like a, a country that was vaunted and revered and so much better than everybody else. And now, you know, it's not that the cracks and warts are showing. I think that they were always there. But like I say, the veil has been ripped off. And we're seeing, um, you know, what it is, what this country is in, in reality. And what people see is, is ugly. So I think that other countries are talking about what's going on in the States. And they are talking about gun control. They, it may not be you know, number one on the the news agenda, but I don't think it's people aren't talking about it, to be quite honest. Do Americans care what other countries feel about them? No, they don't. They don't care what other countries think about them because Americans still think that they're number one despite, uh, you know, what other countries think. And um, I don't know if all Americans feel like that. I mean, that is just a huge sweeping generalization. Mm -hmm. But certainly, you know, those that are very conservative and uh, pro no gun control, uh, they think that everything is just fine. And in fact, they would like things to be, you know, the way it used to be when, you know, white men ruled the world and everybody was subservient. Uh, do you think the uh, the uh, do you think Americans realize that this does not happen in other countries and other countries would view this the same way they would view I don't know uh, maybe a civil war or terrorism in the Middle East? 
You know, it's interesting when you bring up Civil War. Civil War has been a phrase that's been bandied about on a lot of these shows like Bill Maher and, and whatnot, um, of fueling unrest among Americans. Um, I, I think that Americans listen to what Americans listen to. And honestly, if you look at, if you go around the dial, I mean, you can look at Fox, you can look at CBS, you can look at CNN, you can look at the New York Times, Washington Post. I mean, people, th- those outlets report on what's happening in America. There might be sort of a throwaway paragraph or two, but honestly, like comparison as to what is going on in other countries is really a secondary or tertiary narrative. So it's not something that Americans are concerned with. What about Trump's reaction to all of this? Well, you know, I mean, here's where I see this sort of being communicated, that people are saying, okay, well, gee, Trump is going to be in Vegas tomorrow, but it's taken him two weeks to get to Puerto Rico. Yeah. You know, it's nobody's fault in Vegas, but, you know, people in Puerto Rico, uh, Puerto Rico, I mean, those Puerto Ricans, they have enough problems. So, you know, what can I do to help them? I mean, the gap between his empathy is huge. And there are many, many people who are bringing that out. That is starting to come out. It's a very sad um, juxtaposition of a narrative because Kimmel himself said, listen, you know, we're talking about Vegas, but let's not also forget Puerto Rico. So there are Mm. people making that juxtaposition, which must drive the Trump administration crazy. Uh, Obviously, there's more to being president than what is the world that Donald Trump has created. Uh, Is is He's being tested now, obviously, with Puerto Rico, the disasters in the United States, and now this. Uh, how important is it for him to uh, at least seem somewhat presidential and, and, and authoritative at this point, or in control? You know, well, you raise a really good point, because many presidents often have their presidential defining moment in times yes. of tragedy. Yeah. Many have, you know, um, Bush. Uh, Even Bush it. post 9-11, yeah. Exactly. Uh, you know, Giuliani had it post 9-11. So, you know, uh, Obama had it, um, you know, when the uh, the church in the South was, um, when uh, I think that they were, it was set on fire and people were gunned down. So, you know, people are looking at this. But here's the thing, Scott. I mean, he can go to Vegas and create all the empathy he wants. But people, I don't think, are buying the the, the truthfulness of it. I think that, you know, it comes to a point where I think even the average American is seeing that I know when Trump is really speaking from the heart, and I know when Trump is reading what's exactly in front of him. And when he's speaking from the heart, it tends to be very off-the-cuff and derogatory. And when he's reading what's in front of him is when he sounds presidential. But you know what? It's the same guy. Yeah. So you kind of can't... Um, you know, you know, there, there's a lack of veracity. There's a lack of integrity to what he shows empathy to and to how he can sound presidential. And I'm sure he will show up in Vegas tomorrow and he will stand at the podium and he will read exactly what's in front of him. And his handlers will say, don't freelance, you read exactly what's in front. So and people will say, well, he sounded very empathetic and very presidential. But I think that there will be more than one narrative that comes out and says, yeah, but where was he? Uh, you know, when the hurricane hit Puerto Rico. Do you think this will resonate differently than all of the others? Here's what the picture I'm painting. I'm watching this on the news, Alyssa. I'm hearing country music playing and the continuous, continuous rat-a-tat-tat of a machine gun. It's almost like a Quentin Tarantino movie. 
I think that's going to resonate with people for a long time. I think it will, too. And, I, you know, it, it, it's interesting because I, I would hate to say, but I mean, like, you know, maybe a lot of Trump's base was at that concert. Maybe they are, they are people who who voted hmm. for Trump. I, you know, who knows? I don't know. But it would be interesting to see how that now plays with his base. The problem is, is that, and, and I think the picture you paint is right on, the problem is that we become sort of um, anesthetized to the fact of, oh, there's another mass shooting. Yeah. You know? So I don't know whether this is going to change things, but it certainly does make for um, arresting images. But honestly, it, it boggles my mind how this goes on. Alyssa Freeman has been with us. Alyssa PR. Uh, Alyssa, as always, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Okay, thank you, Scott. Appreciate it. Uh, Michael Diamond now with us, uh, conservative political pundit. Uh, Michael, thanks for taking the time. Uh, at this point, uh, the Republicans are saying not the time for the discussion. Uh, is it time for the discussion? You know, it, it's always crass when people jump on after a tragedy to try and move a public policy debate. But on from the same token, if not now, when? So yeah. there's a lot of absolutes in, in, in these debates where people think it's 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 black and white, and it's not. There's so many shades of gray, uh, and really the 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 hope that everyone should have is that uh, reasonable laws can be looked at. So how does America process this one? You know, it, it's, it's really devastating, isn't it? I mean, and the, numbers, the numbers are just, uh, just awful, but it's become so commonplace. You know, we're going to see what we always see. You know, we're going to see people saying, oh, we've got to uh, have gun control in the United States. We're going to see cable news be wall-to-wall coverage. And then in a couple of days or weeks, you know, there might be some movement in uh, some Congress uh, folks might uh, might try and do something on background checks or restrictions or, or, or anything, and then we're going to stop talking about it. So you don't think this will advance the discussion on gun control in any way? I don't think it will, and I think the reason for that is that, uh, you know, uh, I don't want to sound like the president here, but extremists on both sides, you know, that the, there's people who will, will not be satisfied until every firearm is banned, and then there's, you know, your uh, First or Second Amendment uh, uh, extremists who uh, any any sort of reforms they all view as an infringement on on that right. Uh, why does it have to be one extreme to, or, or the other, Michael? It why doesn't. Is it... <laughs> isn't that, isn't that the, that's, I mean, thank you for asking that question because it doesn't. So that, that, that's the point here. So hopefully, uh, and now, you know, maybe maybe those on, on the right who are predominantly on the right who are saying now is not the time for this discussion, maybe they're right because right now is the time for families, uh, families uh, to grieve. But how many more times are we going to have to allow families to grieve before there actually is action? So hopefully there will be action taken soon. And, and it doesn't have to be a ban on all firearms. It, it has to start with looking at reasonable regulations, not, not changing the Second Amendment. I mean, people are very attached to the Second Amendment. It's one of the amendments that came in with the Bill of Rights. And that's obviously, you know, very important. And no one's going to suggest that they're uh, wiser than James Madison, who wrote the Bill of Rights uh, as a congressman. But um, I don't think he would have anticipated any of this. Uh, Many have said if this was a terrorist attack, we know what the discussion would be. They'd be banning everything because it appears to be just somebody who's gone off the rails, perhaps mental illness. 
uh, we're not having those discussions. Uh, at what point does the United States look in the mirror and say, this is your terrorism? This kills more people than terrorism. And to stop pointing at everybody else and perhaps look inward. Well, exactly. And t- terrorism, uh, you know, the, the definition really, you know, when, 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 people, when people have to rethink their actions of everyday life, uh, how they want to go out living. And when, when you have to think twice, you know, do I want to attend an open air music festival because I might be shot from a hotel room? Uh, to me, that strikes terror into, uh, into, uh, the citizens. And, uh, we, we got to be looking at it in the exact same way as other acts of terror. So what does this mean for the Trump presidency? How, how does this get processed through the big wheel? You know, it's, uh, it's a tough one for him. You know, Donald Trump, uh, on many issues is much more um, on almost every issue is much more flexible than your average uh, politician uh, he definitely has appeal though uh, to those on on the right who are very committed supporters of the second amendment and and, and maybe Donald Trump let, let's hold a array of hope here and it might be unlikely but maybe Donald Trump is the person to actually tackle this issue you know uh, in the way that you know only Richard Nixon uh, could go to China and open up that market for them. It's because of his fierce anti-communism past when he was in the Congress. Maybe Donald Trump can uh, be the unlikely advocate to actually advance a common sense approach. Boy, wouldn't that be something? <laughs> well, you know, and uh, uh, it, it, that would be that would be wonderful. That could be his le- that could be his legacy. But uh, if we wait for it, we might be holding our breath so long yeah. that our skin starts looking like him. That's true, true. Um, does, does it play into the fact, Alyssa alluded to this earlier, Michael, does it, what about the fact that this was his base? I mean, there's country music fans there, uh, you know, basically shooting fish in a barrel uh, for all intents and purposes. Uh, the fact that that was his base, does this react, does that change the discussion at all? Well, you know, it, it, no, because I mean, all of these, uh, all of these tragedies, these mass shootings, really, they, they, they hit, they hit America. It's not, it's not about political basis. So I don't think there's going to be any, uh, reflection from this administration because of, uh, who happened to be at the place that was targeted this time, because it's really no different. It's people going about their daily lives, doing something fun and, uh, having this happen. So, so it hits home each and every time because sending your kid off to school, going to a movie theater, going to a concert, going to celebrate the nation's birthday, uh, you know, these are just such normal boarding an airplane, normal everyday activities for for almost everyone that it doesn't, the, the specifics matter less than the fact that these these people were living their lives like the rest of us do. Uh, Trump, of course, off to Puerto Rico after saying some unflattering things about them and being accused of not uh, reacting quick enough, then off to Vegas. Uh, what do you expect from these, uh, these appearances? Well, you know, I, I hope in uh, uh, Puerto Rico he's able to uh, show a, show some empathy and, and compassion and really make up for uh, the the communications. Let's leave the response to the uh, hurricane separate. You know, there's there are times when these situations will be more difficult than others, and there was a great response uh, to Harvey, uh, relatively speaking. This one was less less ideal, but let's just hope he can move past that and stop pointing fingers. And, you know, you never heard George W. Bush blame the governor of Louisiana and the mayor of New Orleans. You heard other people do it in the Republican Party and the administration. You never heard the president do it. So he really needs to uh, 
stop passing the buck and uh, take some ownership and just not blaming others uh, there. And in, in Vegas, hopefully he'll be as tasteful as we'd, we'd want. You know, if you look at um, George W. Bush, who I have a great deal of respect for after 9-11 or Barack Obama after the uh, shooting in Charleston uh, or Bill Clinton after the attack in Oklahoma City uh, and Rudy Giuliani after 9-11 as well. These people serve to heal the nation. Ronald Reagan's another great example. Let's hope Donald Trump can raise, rise to this occasion and, and be the nation's healer in chief instead of just the commander in chief because that's what people look for after these tragedies and this is going to be his first test if he can do what people like uh, George W. Bush and pretty much every other president have done in the past. Michael Diamond has been with us, conservative political pundit. Michael, as always, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Thank you. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. Facebook has said that 10 million people in the U.S. saw politically divisive ads on Facebook that were purchased in Russia prior to the election and then some afterwards. How does this happen? How do you discover this? How do you stop it? Where do you start? Uh, let's bring in Joe Jones, Vice President, uh, Symmetric, a web print marketing company in St. Catharines, uh, made up of developers, social media enthusiasts, uh, marketers, app addicts, that sort of thing. And Joe is with us now. Joe, thanks very much for taking the time to join us. We appreciate this. No problem. Glad I could join. Uh, is it just Was it just a matter of time before Facebook had to stand up and do something about this? I think in some ways, because Facebook's platform is just so widely accessible by anyone. They can, technically, anyone can post an ad in whatever topic they want. So what has happened here? Explain to us in layman terms what's happened, what's gone on. Basically, you know, there's a group who decided that they wanted to post ads, and uh, they created a whole bunch of fake profiles, and then they used the power of Facebook to leverage those ads. So they could technically go in and based on your interests, your likes, um, even marital status, your religion, all these sort of parameters, they could custom tailor messages that you would see. So what was the purpose of this? They were, from what we see, they're trying to incite conflict. They're trying to create divisiveness, divisiveness. How would they do this? Well, maybe if they knew that you were uh, persuasive in one area, they could, uh, you know, create ads that would basically pique your interest. Um, And so based on certain groups that they could go after, they could technically create an ad that was designed for that specific group in real time. So any website that you have visited in the past or um, maybe you had an interest in some sort of category or um, a different um, group, then basically they would create a list of these type of people. And then basically they send out ads to that specific group, very targeted. And they would start that by creating their own profile, fake profile. Yeah. Yeah, so it takes them technically... You could be up and running within a couple minutes just by creating a simple profile. You could be advertising on this massive platform with all this technology and all this ability to have super targeted messaging within a couple of minutes. It just seems incredibly complex despite it being so easy. What's your reaction to that? That is what Facebook, you know, that's, I think, what every major company, media company out there has strived to do. If you take a look at Apple, you know, how you have these super complex phones, and now they're coming down with anyone can use them. You take the ad platform at Facebook and and Google, and they're making it so that anyone can technically log in and advertise. They want as many people to be able to have the ability to advertise because it means more revenue for them. So they've just opened the floodgates a little too far and not monitored what's getting in. 
Yeah, they do have some monitoring. Like there are some people who, you know, uh, the different media outlets have different channels and uh, they have actually review processes that take effect. Now, how deep and how regulated those review processes are is, is kind of behind the scenes. You don't really know. All you do know is that if your ad gets approved or rejected, but it could be an automated script that approves that. Why can't Facebook keep an angle, uh, uh, get a handle on this or keep a handle on this? I think they can. I don't know if they want to. Because it means technically they have to, they have to pick, pick a side now. And it also means they're going to be losing some ad dollars. Do they have to pick a side or do they just have to monitor it more closely? I mean, obviously well, what they're doing is they're, you know, they're going to have to shrink the size of the net in order to catch things. But with that, I, I guess they lose money. They, yeah. It's, it's about money, for sure. So uh, what sort of responsibility does Facebook have as a result of this? I mean, is it up to them to fix it? Are they doing anything illegal? Does it matter? What about laws, that sort of thing? Well, I think are, are, they, opening, are they opening themselves up? Are they liable with this? Um, that I wouldn't be really be able to know. Like, some of it is they could say, well, they, they do have things in place. When you post an ad, they, they do state that they do not want ads to be of this certain type of a nature if they're offensive. Um, but then again, they allow you to target those specific groups as well. So that's where it's a little gray because it, you can technically target a specific group, but you can't post defensive material. But then again, if they can't post it, then how is it getting approved? How much influence could this interference have? I don't, I wouldn't understand those demographics specifically, but you definitely could say that if you know, for example, if you buy a product, say, hypothetically, if you buy a product on Amazon and you're interested in that product, there's going to be a high chance when you log on to Facebook, you're going to start seeing that product appear, hmm. which is designed to obviously get you to buy that product. Right. The same practices that businesses have been using for years, you know, um, is now coming into that whole you know, campaign system where they're going after, hey, we know you have an interest in this. So why not dig a little deeper? Uh, does this surprise you what Russia's doing or what they've done? I mean, if there's a thread there, they're going to pull it? Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think it surprises me at all. I think they're probably doing it in other places, too, that we just don't know about. It, uh, I was going to say, how damaging is this? But I guess uh, we wouldn't be investigating if it, if it wasn't damaging. Yeah, that's true. And who, who's to say that Russia was the only one doing this? There's other people who are doing this all the time, right? Like there could be other countries involved. They just hypothetically have caught Russia. It just seems like an awful lot to go to, an awful lot of process to go through in order to get a result. But then again, clearly it's, it appears to have worked. So obviously worth it, no? Well, if you think about the process, once you set it up, you can mimic that thing over and over. Right. So if once I create a list or a segment of specific people that I want to target, I can just basically copy that list and apply a different set of rules to it. So literally, it, it only takes you minutes to create this massive list. So and why, as you keep doing it, it keeps growing. Right. No, that makes sense. Uh, why, but why couldn't Facebook uh, clamp down on this? Um, is it because they would lose you know, trolling for other money, uh, other advertising dollars if they, you know, if they, met, if they make this net too fine? Or is it they just don't want to staff what it takes to, to monitor this stuff? I think it's going to be a little bit of A, a little bit of B. They're going to lose money. Um, but they also have to have actual eyeballs in front of this. 
So how are they going to lose money? Are they going to lose money from scrupulous people, though? Are they going to lose money from legitimate business? How will they lose money from legitimate business? Well, all those ads were technically actually purchased, right? Yeah. Um, so one of the reports says that Facebook is looking into how these people paid for these ads. So they're losing the money off the ad dollar, and usually the ads are calculated by views or by clicks. Um, so who's so paying for the Russians' ads? That's what. <laughs> that's the question, yeah. Some, Bitco- some Bitcoin else? account somewhere, you know. Um, so uh, where does this leave Facebook? I mean, do they have egg on their face over this? I don't, I don't think so because, you know, they, they're going to stand behind the grounds of, well, technically anyone can post whatever they want. Yes, we can do a better job of monitoring that. Yeah, but do you think Mark? Do you think Mark Zuckerberg's going to stand there and watch? You know, uh, I mean, he's he, he's a philanthropist. He's not going to watch his country come down because he, you know, he doesn't feel like doing what he needs to be doing here with this large company. I mean, is he that kind of guy? I don't I don't know where they're going to stand on that. I definitely I, I've seen the, some of the posts where they have stated they're going to clamp down more on it. Why they waited till now is the question. Because they, they definitely can see every ad and they can see everything that's happening, the traffic that the ads are generating. So I'm not sure why they haven't clamped, clamped down earlier. Um, maybe it's because no one mentioned anything. Is Facebook naive to think this wasn't happening? I think they knew it was happening. They have to know. You know they're they're going to know where the dollar's coming from and who's placing ads and how much traction it's getting. Can you stop this sort of thing? I think they can, yeah. They can put different things in place. They can limit how ads are are done. They can put regulations in place of who can buy ads. Um, I know their whole premise is, though, is they want anyone to be able to create an ad, but maybe there needs to be a little bit of a process involved before you can actually start advertising, maybe a track record or limit of how much you can actually spend first. Will this cost Facebook in any way? I don't think it will. I think they're too big for that. Uh, because they are so big, do they have a responsibility? Will Americans demand that of them? I think they have a responsibility, whether it will be demanded of them or not, because, like you said earlier, who actually paid for the Russians? You know, who knows what's happening internally to make those ads actually fly? There's probably more into that investigation, or there wouldn't be an investigation happening. It, all those answers. Who is investigating this? Is this U.S. authorities, or is this Facebook? Well, I know that... Um, Facebook has said that they are looking into this in a, in a deeper matter, and they're looking for ways to help uh, prevent some of this. What that means and what they're going to actually do is, is another question, but they are, have said that they're looking into it. They said uh, there's been reports that they were going to hire like 1,000 people to look after this. Is, is that what this is? Is it a numbers thing? Correct, but I, if you think how many ads Facebook has, I don't even know if 1,000 you know, scratches the surface. He'll need uh, a new building just for that. <laughs> no kidding. Like a thousand, you know, there's millions and millions of ads that are happening all the time. Like, I don't know how a, a thousand people are going to be able to monitor all that. Is this something that we can even bother to monitor, or is this, rather than attacking it from that angle, uh, educate the consumer and everybody who's using this as to what is fake, what isn't fake, or is, is that just as tough a task? I think I think that is a little bit too difficult because... Even some of the Facebook stuff that Facebook has changed, they try to get around that whole thing about fake news where you could put in any picture for any article that is being posted. They're trying to get rid of that. And some of the stuff now is just so convincing that it's actual real information 
that I don't know if you, if an average person would be able to tell. Hmm. Uh, so, uh, in the end, how do you move this discussion forward? Is Zuckerberg just sort of playing lip service by saying he's doing this, he's doing that, when really this won't make much of a dent? I think that's the case for right now, and I think if it does move forward, I think the government has to step in and say, we want answers, and here's what we want to know what happened, right? The people need to push for that. Uh, is this something that we're aware of by next election, or is this something that's ongoing? I think it's it's going to always have to be improved because there's always going to be new ways and new methods of doing things. So it's going to be a constant thing. But I think they need to step in and do something prior to that if they want real answers. Many have said that uh, you know whether it's Russia or ISIS or what have you, they're they're quite prolific when it comes to uh, their knowledge and use of social media. Uh, are we the same in North America? Uh, should we be doing more to combat this? Uh, you know, I guess uh, fighting fire with fire? In some ways. Like, I know most of the, um, you know, the political campaigns, I think it's around 30% of their budget actually goes into digital media, right, in advertising on social channels. Um, And I think that's just going to grow. Um, But as consumers, I don't think we do enough power on ourselves to actually say we like this ad or we dislike this ad. Hmm. Right, and there's things that can happen there because Facebook, they're just going to allow those ads to continue unless someone actually says, no, I don't want to see this type of thing again. Do you think these have that much of a sway? I mean, obviously they must if it is swaying some that it's worth investigating, but it just seems like an awful lot of work to go through just to make it happen. Well, I believe it was, not, don't quote me on this, but I believe it was Hitler who said, um, if you tell a lie enough times, people will actually believe it. Yeah, good point. Uh, Joe Jones has been with us, Vice President, Symmetric, a web and print marketing company in St. Catharines. Joe, thanks for the time and insight. Much appreciated. No problem. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. Tom Petty passed away at age 66. Let's bring in Graham Rockingham, music critic for your Hamilton Spectator. He is with us now. Graham, thanks for taking the time to join us. What are your thoughts on this day? Oh, it's sad, and it, it, it's uh, unexpected. And yesterday was such a, you know, it was a... a wacky was day a, anyway, yeah. Yeah, it was such a horrible day to go through. You know, you, you get the TMZ report, uh, you know... It, we didn't know he was sick. We didn't know anything. Of course, it was so sudden. He's only 66, which is a young age, yeah. really. Uh, and uh, and then he's on life support. Then he's off of it. He's dead. And then he's not dead. And mm. finally, close to uh, midnight last night, we get the, uh, the definitive word. So, uh, uh, Do we hear what happened? I, there's rumor just between, a heart attack. No, but I mean between the LAPD and CBS, there was some sort of screw well, up. Well, the there. LAPD uh, has apologized. Yeah. Uh, they, they said uh, uh, members made uh, unauthorized uh, right. uh, hmm. uh, statements to uh, certain media members, and I assume CBS was uh, uh, among them because uh, that was the first mainstream news outlet that declared him dead yeah. hmm. um, uh, a few hours earlier than they should have but uh, but uh, LAPD has said they, they, they didn't 
they weren't authorized to do it, and they really didn't. They weren't involved in, in any sort of investigation, so they didn't. It wasn't their job to do that. Right. Either, so. so a mistake made there. Yeah, mistake was made there. Uh, so as you mentioned, no history. We didn't know that he was ill. Just one of those sudden things. Yeah, I. He just came off of a uh, off of a great tour. I mean, uh, the fortieth anniversary. Yeah, yeah, and and. Uh, and he, he just made the top ten in box office draws, uh, mm-hmm. and, and and so he was doing so well. And and he came home for a well-deserved rest. He had a few more shows uh, uh, coming up in November, but uh, he was talking about uh, you know that that will be the last big tour because mm-hmm. uh, he wants to spend time with his grandkids and and enjoy life. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I suppose best that it happened at home and not at the mm. road yeah the road good point so, so uh, uh it's uh yeah it's a surprise it's uh, interesting I mean, this... I, he did he did i mean he lived the rock and roll life so yeah. no doubt about that and yeah. uh, uh, full tilt and uh, uh he had his uh times on drugs and off drugs and mm-hmm. uh, but i think he was uh trying to uh live into his old age gracefully mm-hmm. um he almost seems like a guy ahead of his time. Uh, or behind. He, he, he was, <laughs> that, that's, that's, exa- inter- that's exactly where I was coming back around to. He was yeah. almost like he was a new artist, yet he was a Hall of Famer. It's kind of, uh, or let me, yeah. re- let me rephrase that, a newer artist, and yet he was a Hall of, uh, a Hall well, of Famer. Well, I'm so glad you played Refugee. Um, uh, that was the right thing to play, Scott, and, and uh, it was... Um, I believe off his second or third album, it was yeah, Damn the Torpedoes. Damn the Torpedoes. I remember it so well. That's the album that really drew me in in yep. the late 70s. Me too. Um, and what he was doing there, you heard a classic rock yeah. uh, uh, band, uh, one of the best bands to ever play in the business. Up there with the, I put it up there with the E Street Band. Yeah. You know, Ben Montench on that, with that beautiful B3 organ, Mike Campbell on guitar. Um, they were playing what you weren't supposed to play at that time. Yeah. Uh, young guys were supposed to be doing Ramones and Teenage Head, and yeah. uh, uh, you know, it, it, that was punk. That was at a time uh, tear down the old school. And he comes in there, just but full, you know, both barrels blasting, mm-hmm. doing. Exactly the opposite. Yeah. His music was steeped in the Southern rock tradition. He's from Gainesville, Florida. He loved bands those mid '60s. Uh, yeah. yeah, you can uh, hear the southern. Band. Yeah, you can hear the southern influence. There, and you can sure. also hear the birds from yeah. L.A. He, yeah. he eventually yeah. transplanted himself. Yeah. To, well, the guitar. To, there you uh, go. Right. Guitar, yeah, he yeah. had that jangly. Yeah. Uh, uh, 12-string going yeah. uh, from Roger McGinn. He was playing Rickenbacker guitars, the bands, uh, the guitar that uh, the Beatles started all those uh, L.A. garage bands on. Um, so this is a guy that, I mean, it was fresh, and it was revolutionary, but it was also looking back. And, and, and how much was that, and you just hit the nail on the head, because I was a young guy when this came out, and I really liked mm-hmm. it, and I think I think one of the things was it was just so well produced. They, oh. they sounded well, good, and, and it took that and somehow delivered it into a new sound, a different sound. I mean, it was well produced, but it, it kept the edge. It kept yeah. it rough and yeah. raw and yeah. edgy, and 
uh, all the things we wanted in rock and roll. It, it, and 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 the songs were so well written and mm-hmm. so well played. And it seemed to have, although you, you know, you talked about the Clash and the teenage and teenage head and mm-hmm. such. It's although it had that more laid back, especially damn the torpedoes mm-hmm. at the beginning, more so laid back towards the end. But it, although it sort of had that southern feel to it, it did have that bite to it. Mm-hmm. That, that that you know, punk and new wave had at that era. It did, and uh, uh, and I he played up to it. I mean, he was on the covers uh, of his first album, wearing uh, leather and the whole bit and snarling. So, but that's all rock and roll too. What he comes up with a single word for Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. It was integrity. Hmm. He never, you know, going back to those early records and, and right through his career, he never gave in to the trends. Yeah. He never gave in to what the labels were saying you were supposed to do. Yeah. You know, you, you weren't supposed to have B3 organ in your, uh, in your, no. on your records anymore. You weren't supposed to have slide guitar in your records anymore. You weren't supposed to sing with a, uh, with a southern accent anymore. Hmm. Uh, all those things. And he just kept on pushing on and pushing on. But the songs themselves and the delivery of those songs um, uh, stood out uh, uh, all through those eras. Um, and but you know, Tom and, Petty's and, the sort of guy that he never wanted to be a pop star. He just wanted to make great rock and roll. That's that's it. Yeah. And that's what I'm talking about: integrity. Yeah. Uh, and he was still extremely successful at it. And he he not only gained uh, the adoration of his peers. And, and those younger than them, of course, he was taken in by the people that were his idols. Yeah. And he yeah. was seen as one of them. Mm-hmm. People who were 10 years his senior, of course. And, and, Traveling and, Wilburys. Absolutely, the Wilburys. Yeah. He's, with, he's with Roy Orbison, George Harrison, Bob Dylan, Jeff Lynne. And he was one of the boys. He yeah. was one of the gang. And that, that's all that band was. They did some remarkable music. Um and uh, and it was just a bunch of guys getting together over a few pops and and, and trading licks and lines mm. and uh, I meant lyrical lines yeah uh, and uh, and and so and and they came out with two great records and uh, and, and fascinating you talk about the integrity when Roy Orbison passed away that was it nope can't do it anymore not gonna yeah. re- not gonna replace him yeah yeah. And and it was just for fun, and it would have taken if they had it taken it too seriously, it would take the fun out of it, you know. So, so and yeah, and and uh, during the eighties, you know, everybody's going into synth pop and rock, and and what does he do? He take uh, he takes up uh, uh, touring with Bob Dylan and the Grateful Dead. Mm. I mean, on, on like that. Mm. I'm just so glad I saw him uh, uh, recently. I, it was two years ago I saw him uh, in Virginia, and uh, he was having such a good time. Yeah, um, and that again, the fun he had on stage uh, projected into the audience, and you couldn't help but have a good time when you're at one of his shows. You know, you look at a Tom Petty career and you just think slow and steady, slow and, slow steady. and steady. And if if you're a musician, man, that's all you want. Like you don't want the flash in the pan stuff. You want to be able to do it through your lifetime and, and still make a reputable living at it. And and that's what he did. You stay on top for forty years. There's a reason for it. Yeah. And uh, and uh, it, it's sad, uh, uh, you know, especially the fact that uh, you know those last interviews say, you know, this is it yeah. for me. I just yeah. want to relax, you know, do some one-offs and put out some more records. What do you think he'll be remembered for? Because as as you mentioned, uh, certainly one of those those artists that encompassed 
the whole era uh, before him and, and, and pay tribute to that in his song, how will he be remembered? I think he's just going to be remembered as one of the flat-out best rock and roll players that America ever produced. And, uh, and he'll, he should be uh, remembered uh, alongside uh, uh, what, what he goes, people like Springsteen. He's up there in that category, and that's where it belongs. And, uh, and, and again, I use the word integrity, uh, uh, not bending. A man uh, uh, who, who did the right thing, too. You know, forget, I mean, we're talking about that Southern rock. Uh, his Southern Accent album uh, in 85, one of his best. Um, uh, he, uh, 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 it was marketed with the Confederate flag. Yeah. Uh, he regretted that. Mm. Um, and, and he spoke out against that. He told his fans to stop bringing those flags mm-hmm. to the conscience. He didn't want to see them anymore. A uh, live album that was put out uh, uh, not long afterwards had a shot from that tour with a Confederate flag in the back. He had it taken off the album. He had the the, the uh, it, it called back, recalled and and the flag exercised and because he, hmm. he just didn't want to be associated. With that. Yeah. And he he said, he told us that I don't want to be associated with it. That's not me. You know that rebel I'm singing about is not me. So hmm. so integrity and how did his fans deal with that? Well, some of them booed. Yeah. You know, um, yeah, he had a lot of good old, uh, uh, a lot of good old boy fans. There's no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. And some of them booed, and uh, he didn't care. Yeah. You know, and and that's all all there was to it. So. Uh, what about influencing younger bands, other bands? <laughs> and he did do that. Um, it's great, you know. Uh, uh, I saw well the Sheepdogs. We a lot of people saw the Sheepdogs play Supercrawl. Uh, they didn't play Tom Petty, but they came back for an encore and did uh, Weapon Post by the Almond Brothers. Mm. Boy, you so can they, hear it there. There you yeah. go. <laughs> and they did it spot on. But so we see the uh, you know the Sheepdogs have uh, uh, been around for a while now. They're still in their early thirties. Um, but that's the music they were listening to, that classic rock, those those great southern bands, and the Heartbreakers are one of those. Um, uh, just as uh, uh, Springsteen has influenced the Arkells. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I think there is a, a, there's a return to melodic rock and roll, and that's what that's all about. It's skilled rock and roll. You know, it's not an easy thing. Do you think that's because we're concentrating more and more on live performances now? I think that may be it, and people just realize that the music's better. It's music is always better with a melody, Scott, <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and 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 I think people are appreciating that. I'm, you know, just you know, I, I hate to talk about the Sheepdogs again, but they just put out a record with a spinoff band called Brothers, which is pure yacht rock. Yeah. Yacht rock is not a bad word anymore. Young people are listening to it. There's uh, uh, bands starting up all over the place. They're doing covers of Steely Dan. Mm. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's neat to watch. And, yeah, you have to go back and listen to those glory days of uh, uh, rock and roll, 70s and 60s. If you don't, you're missing out on something huge. Uh, and, and people are... Uh, and it's all so available. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, streaming, everything's there for free now. So uh, and it, and it always wasn't. It was always very, very hard to find that stuff, and now it isn't. That's for sure. Yeah, you know, it, it's 
finding the filters is the tough part, you know. Mm-hmm. Finding, just getting somebody to direct you there because, you know, we don't have the benefit of liner notes anymore. Yeah, that's I true. I think that's one of the reasons people, uh, uh, kids are uh, rediscovering vinyl because it's all there on the back. Yeah, that's very true. <laughs> yeah, you'd listen and read at the same time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't so, let... And, and, I'm, and I'm looking at it, I'm looking at the tributes coming in, um... Yeah, there's a lot of younger artists. I mean, and and we haven't even mentioned Sam Smith, mm-hmm. um, who ended up having to pay uh, uh, Jeff Lynne and uh, uh, and Tom Petty twelve uh, percent royalties on his big hit, uh, uh, "Stay with Me," because yeah. it's it whether it was accidental or not, it's no for no won't back down. So how and you know what? Just through osmosis, man. How can that not happen nowadays? There's so much. It's true. There's like sixty, seventy years of product there. Um, and Petty was very magnanimous about that. He said, "Look, I'm not saying you stole it. I'm not saying it's just it, these things happen." Yeah, yeah. In rock and roll, and uh, uh, I think that was just so blatant. I, I remember the first time I heard uh, "Stay with Me," I thought it was uh, somebody doing a Tom Petty cover, <laughs> and I turned and thought, "Wait a minute, they changed the lyrics." <laughs> that's not. That's not going to stand up in court. <laughs> All right, so I can't let you go without commenting on what has happened in 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 Las Vegas. Oh, how does that how does that change the discussion around outdoor events, this sort of thing? I mean, you can talk about security all you want, and and the people, uh, you know, screening the people that are going in. Here's a person that's across the road, uh, you know, that never even passed. There's nothing security. secure anymore, no. Scott, and and that's the horrible thing is that that yes, I suppose. You know, if you're a mom or your dad and your kids are going to a big concert, whether it's Air Canada Center or cops, I mean, you, you, you have this thought in your mind. You know, it's all, it, it, it's, it's such a be safe, son. Yeah. It's, uh, well, my daughter was at the Eldine concert when it was at uh, the amphitheater. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, she's seen the tour. I mean, it's bizarre. I mean, what? They're going to hit country. I mean, they're going to hit anything. They're going to, I mean, yeah. this is the third major uh, a, a terrorist act, whatever you want to call it, at a concert, and yeah, so you, 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 you can't. We, I, it's easy to say you got to keep on going on, and and, uh, and just you got to keep on yeah. going on, and, and and you can't let these things say, oh, well, I'm I'm not going to go to a concert because somebody yeah. might open a fire on me, yeah. um, because this is still incredibly. Uh, uh, I mean, it, it doesn't happen very often. It's such a rare, rare occurrence. And the other thing you have to think about, what if you're the performer that's oh, on man. stage when this happens? Because you are the center of attention. You yeah. are the one that's in the spotlight. Yeah, and so, you brought all these people together. And to you die. brought all these people together. So, you know, you're the first target. They're the second, I guess. Um, it's a horrible thing. I, I, how, I, how do you I react know, to that? I, I wouldn't. How, how would you step on stage again? Yeah, I wouldn't even want to think of what's going through Jason's uh, mind right now because uh, it, it's it, you'd have to be thinking: Is this worth it? Is this really worth it? Yeah. But uh, but it's it's not his fault. No, you know it, it, it's, it's like the Ariana no, Grande concert in uh, in Manchester. No different, right? No different, exactly. And and a, and a uh, performer who's very young. I mean, she seems to uh, have done well, uh, gotten back into it, but that's got to hurt. Yeah, it's got, but it's got to hurt the families of all those people who, who are dead and wounded. That those numbers are just astounding. Yeah, you know the the. 
and and they're still not talking about guns down there. I know. I mean, this guy had how many dozen automatic weapons? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. How do you get that up to the thirty-second floor of a hotel room? And 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 the fact that you can just go in and buy these things, yeah. and you know, it doesn't happen up here, and that's why maybe. It happens. Maybe we we have these uh, events, but we don't have that kind of kill numbers on such regularity. You know and, what, what? What stands out for me when I'm watching this footage is that you're hearing a country music artist play, and then in the background you're hearing just the constant, constant rat-a-tat-tat of a machine gun. Just da 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 da. It just keeps going and that with the contrast of the country music in the background before Jason Aldean knew what was going on um, it, it almost seems like a Quentin Tarantino movie it, it just seems bizarre unfortunately and, it's not it, it's and I'm real. hoping that for some reason this resonates this time yeah like this is bizarre this is the equivalent of, of the terrorism in the Middle East. I mean, you know, America stands up and points fingers at everybody else. How can they let this happen? It's like, how can you let this happen? Yeah, but we can't let it uh, change us because if no. we, as soon as we stop carrying on with our normal lives, then, exactly. then, then the shooters win. Mm-hmm. And uh, whether, whatever you want to call this, terrorism, or just, you know, some guy trying to be... Uh, 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 David Chapman or something like that in a big way, and uh, I, I don't know, but uh, but don't let the shooters win. Graham Rockingham has been with his music critic with your Hamilton Spectator. You can read him there and at thespec.com. Graham, as always, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Most welcome. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. Canada may be known for its landscapes and friendly people, but beneath the surface lies a darker side of crime, history, and the paranormal. Since 2017, the award-winning Dark Poutine podcast has explored the shadowy corners of the Great White North and beyond, delivering chilling tales from a uniquely Canadian perspective. Hosted by Mike Brown and Matthew Stockton with over 300 episodes and fresh releases every Monday, Dark Poutine is your weekly ticket to the creepier side of Canada. Listen to Dark Poutine on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.